Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your hosts, Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men's Podcast. This is Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men. And with us this afternoon, we have Greg Alexander, who's our Director of Disciples Men. Greg, it is good to talk to you in this new year. Same to you, Alex. It's been a little while since we've had a chance to do one of the podcasts. Uh, December holiday season's always busy, even even for uh, people like us, so <laughs> who who aren't always bogged down with the church stuff, uh, local congregation stuff. But uh, but uh, it is uh, it, yeah, it's great to be back and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. I am as well. So we've talked about several things in uh, the past that, and you've sent, found and sent a um, an article uh, that I thought would be a good form for the beginning of our discussion. And and the gist of the article is um, talking about how we as pastors and church people, as Christians, um, as disciples men in our context. How do we um, talk about um, issues of political nature, uh, and and how, or should we even be talking about those uh, in our churches? Uh, so I think it'll be a fun conversation to see where we go and where we line up with and where we disagree um, with with this little article. Yeah, let's give credit to where credit is due. This article uh, appeared in a a post by uh, Richard Beck in a in a um, uh, on a Substack uh, site that he has uh, that's entitled uh, Experimental Theology. Um, I've read a little bit of his, and I I know he's an academician. I don't know where Uh, I need to find that out. Um, But this article kind of caught me. It was just showed up in a feed and I was really going, now that that's, that might be worth some conversation. So again, my apologies to uh, Dr. Beck and everyone for not being a little bit more <laughs> aware of, <laughs> of who he is. I have read some of his other stuff uh, and it's pretty good. Uh, I think he's extremely thoughtful. I, mean, I certainly don't agree with him on everything, but uh, it's very well thought out. Uh, and um, and I would encourage you if you're looking for someone to read experimental theology with Richard Beck is a nice place to start. And uh, there are many posts that go many different directions. But to the task at hand, yeah, this this particular post is uh, an epilogue to some uh, thinking and I believe podcasts that he's had um, over the past um few uh, past time period, um, and it's entitled The Church, The Powers, and Politics, um, and uh, he talks about the fact that we can uh, we can debate a lot about uh, politics and political theology and, and how that uh, comes into uh, interplay within our churches and within our lives, um, and he makes uh, a, a proposition or pauses the poses the question um could we as christians of all political persuasions could we step away from political engagement for 10 years 
that if we just stopped part or not stop participating, but we started stopped um, being vocal, vocal and visible uh, with our participation. If if we stop talking about politics on social media, if pastors stop preaching about politics and political uh, Armageddon is a phrase he uses. Um, what would that do to um, to both faith and to our political witness uh, in the world? Yeah, I think that's a it's an interesting proposition. What what if all Christians, all Christians, just suddenly stepped away from the political dialogue, from mm-hmm. the political debate, from political political arenas, and focused our attention on doing the work of the church? Uh, uh, and he's he comes from a bit of an evangelical perspective. I have picked that up in his writings. Uh, and so, I, you know, for him, it would be attending to, um, you know, to the matters of, of faith, of, you know, witnessing uh, uh, mission, uh, mission, missiology. Uh, those would be some of the things I think that he would he would outline as the work. But the question is, what difference would it make to the right. church primarily? Would it would it make the church? More like the historic sense of the church, if if we divorced ourselves from all the everything that comes along with the political and partisan divide that's taking place in our nation, and yeah. um, I think it's a it's an interesting question. Uh, it really is. It where, is. Where would and, you go with it? Uh, you know, my initial thoughts are that I don't know that I. I don't know that I draw the line as cleanly, maybe, as he might, or at least as it sounds like he might, um, between politics and faith. Um, I've been one who kind of has has my rooting in my understanding of, of political theology of being that my politics are an outflowing of my faith. Um and so, you know, to his point of not preaching politics or not boosting candidates, that's not something I've ever felt called to do in my ministry. Um, but I do feel that it is important for us to take on issues of socio-political importance. Um, and I think we w- if we were to just step away using his language, we run the risk of ending up on the wrong side of history as churches did with slavery, with civil rights issues, with environmental rights issues um, in, in previous decades. And I, I, I so I'm concerned or I, I that idea gives me pause. The idea of having those discussions at rooted not in a political discourse, but in a theological discourse, uh, I think I'm behind that 100%. Um, because that's, I mean, that's what the church should be, in my estimation, about. Let's be talking about who God is, how God is at work in the world, in and through us. Yeah, I, I think I would be there. Well, I know I would be there, too. I've always, I've, you know, I've, every congregation I've ever served, you know, my one of my first things that I say to them about who I am is that, you know, my faith informs everything else about my life. Right. You know, uh, who, who I understand God is calling me to be determines how I vote, uh, how I spend my money, uh, who I hang around with, 
you know, um, uh, those kinds of things. And, uh, and, and, and it determines the things that I invest time and money in. And, uh, and so I, I think at root that I think one of the things that Beck is getting at is he sees, he sees a division in the church and its impact, its negative impact on, on the whole Christian witness today, regardless yes. of whether you're conservative or, or liberal or whatever. And I think he's, he's asking the question, if we, if we took politics out of the equation, you know, that which is clearly one of the great dividers of, of <laughs> us, right? would that give the church an opportunity to refocus on the basics of what it means to be followers of Jesus and uh, where we could reclaim the unity of the mm-hmm. faith? Yeah, not uniformity. We were right. clear of the distinction. Yes, uh, but uh, the fact that we that we do share a common uh, a common relationship one with, with another as members of the body of Christ. Right. And can we, uh, if we depoliticized ourselves, uh, I, probably it's more fair to say if we departisan partisanshipized whatever the word <laughs> is ourselves. <laughs> uh, uh, could could we maybe uh, allow our minds, our hearts and minds to be re-infused with the spirit uh, of yeah. unity and love that uh, God revealed to us in Jesus Christ? And that's uh, I think it's an interesting I think it's an interesting part, uh, an interesting question to pose. But I would also say that the other part of that that uh, I would want us to ask about is, He's assuming, and I think this is something that's important, important dynamic. He's assuming that if we open ourselves up to God and follow where God leads, all this other stuff that is causing division will disappear. Right. So again, I think I think what he's saying, and maybe this is this is Greg's language, is that we are making choices. Right. With you know, with all all the resources that we have, I'm talking about heart, mind, soul, strength, everything. We are making choices. You know, when we choose to be engaged in the political realm, that it's a, it's a choice to be divorced from the sacred realm. Right. I, I don't know that you and I would say that that's right. that's a clearly demarcated line, uh, but, but I think that's what he's trying to get us to think about uh at, at core is yes. you know if if we washed away the grime of the politics you know would god shine us back up into that which would be a, you know a witness to the world right which to to a couple of uh, folks who are uh, a couple of guys who are you know entrenched in a restorationist movement um that at its roots um you know on at least on one hand um and i think that this is an oversimplification but it, on, on one hand sought to restore the early church sought to do just kind of what he's talking about let's wash away these these newer things that are getting in the way so that we can get back to that which is at our essence um in some levels yeah i agree with that but it also seems to me to be an overstatement of how unified we once were. Um, you know, I, I think these divisions um, and differences, maybe differences rather than divisions, but these differences go way back. I mean, 
way, way back to the time of Jesus mm-hmm. and before, you know, but but the church has never been a monolithic unified uh it's not been a monolithic entity. It may have been more unified than it is today. And and I yeah. I do see stretching for some kind of a unity, um, an understanding that you know, at our at our root, we as Christians believe in uh, Jesus, the Son of God, who was born, lived, died, raised from the dead. You know, an Apostles' Nicene Creed kind of belief statement. At, at our core, we believe that probably regardless of where we land on a more politicized spectrum. Yeah, I. You know, I, I actually think there's probably more d- difference than what you just described. I think okay. that, I think um, I'm not sure that there would be as uniform a saluting of those things <laughs> as as what you, right. you just set out. But um, but I, I do I do think that his naivete, if it is, he he may just be you know goading us a bit with this. <laughs> uh, but assuming that that there's some naivete here, the naivete is exactly what you said, that the church was never anything more than really what it is today. It just is we have, you know, we have much greater avenue of sharing the dysfunction of the church today than we ever did before. And yeah. with, you know, all the social media and stuff, there's nothing hidden. You know, the, you know, the the dirty laundry of the church now is on full display because it can be. And in the past, church leaders have the had closets that stuff could be stuffed you know, and, uh, and did it well. So, you know, I would say if you're a person of color, those days never existed. Right. If you're a woman, those things never existed. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so, uh, I think, I think it's wrong to assume that there was ever a right way, mm-hmm. you know, that the church, that the church exhibited itself in any kind of wholesale way. And, Correct. Yeah. Um, which is part of the problem. And, uh, you know, where, where do we, where do we even begin to look uh, at that, you know, at, at that common ground? I, right. I have, uh, over the last few weeks in my little church in Hodgenville, one of the things that I've asked my little, and we are a little band of believers, we're about 15 to 20 strong. And, uh, and they do, as I've shared on this podcast before, remarkable work for who we are. Uh, but one of the things that we all are aware of is, you know, I'm I'm one of the younger members that's, you know, at almost 70 years of age. Right. And there's a limitation to how much time and energy we have to devote to what we currently do without an influx of new people. And so, you know, from time to time, we're not hung up about this at all. We just trust that, you know, we'll go as long as we can go. And if it ends, it ends. And thank God for whatever we were able to do. Uh, but there's also a desire by all of us that we would love to see, you know, the witness of our church carry itself far into the future. Yes. We think it has something to say, a value. And we've we've taken, you know, great appropriate pride in in what we've done. And so, you know, the question comes up, how do we how do we begin to invite new people in? What's what's the how, the thing that gets people in? And my response is always the same. It's been the same response I've used for years. And that is that the only witness that ever mattered, that ever grew the church, was compassion. 
period. You know, the church grew like wildfire in, you know, in the first century because the church became the place where you could go to get food, clothing, shelter, care, uh, you know, someone to help you if you were sick. You know, it, 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 it was really a place in which the needs of others was put above the needs of the, of the church itself. Right. And in a compassionate way. And uh, I, my own personal belief is, is that, you know, the foundation of all that goes back to God's conversation with Abraham. And the whole conversation was about Abraham and Abraham's descendants being what? A blessing to the world. So that, yeah, they were blessed to be yeah. a blessing. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. so, so when the church engages in, in all the things it engages in today, if it at its core isn't focused on compassion and being a blessing, to the you know to its own community to its own neighborhood and beyond you know it, it fighting for whatever particular political thing is and we both stood on in places fighting for social justice and we will continue to do that exactly but if that becomes the only thing for which the church is known then essentially we are we are putting all of our eggs in a divided basket right and or 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 a basket that has division as its primary Right, primary substance, and uh, and so I, I, you know, I I wanted us to talk about Beck's article because I think it it does give us a chance to say so. At its core, what is the church? Mm -hmm. What's it supposed to be? Yeah, you know, what would we do if we were really going to try to reclaim, you know, the essence of what what the church was intended to be from its very inception? Because, you know, Jesus didn't create a church. Right. The, the, church, the church was an organizing principle Correct. You know, of the followers right. of Jesus. And, uh, and we've made the church, the organizing principle, the witness, you know, we, right. the, the focus of our attention. And I think that that in and of itself is a problem. I've been, uh, as we talked before the podcast, um, I've been reading uh, a lot of um, Andrew Root's work recently, and, and in a recent uh, book that I read, um, I believe it's The Congregation in a Secular Age, um, he talks, uh, he he goes back to uh, Bonhoeffer, uh, you know, particular, particular favorite of many of our uh, colleagues, mm -hmm. um, and mine as well, uh, goes back to a uh, an article of Bonhoeffer's where where Bonhoeffer suggests that the work of a, a church is to um, carry children, and and so he talks a lot about that uh, image in all three of the Synoptic Gospels where Jesus has a, a child uh, before the disciples and says to enter into God's kingdom, become like a child. That this is. Um, and it's usually a, a set against the uh, disciples arguing about who the greatest is among them. So childhood is also is is on the one hand, kind of a youth wonder and vitality. Um, on the other hand, it's a, a counteract uh, counteracts the um, ego that can be built uh, in communities. Uh, but what he talks about that I found particularly interesting is the focus on the fact that not only do we have to carry children, uh, we have to help others as they um, discern and develop their faith, 
we also need to be childlike in our wonder, in our interaction with God and the world around us. Um, and I think that that is something that um, that would draw us together and make us a little more unified. It is that ability to to see beyond any labels that the person that I'm talking with is a human being. And we would say as, or I would say as a Christian that everybody encounter is a beloved child of God. So should, I should treat them like that. Yeah. And that really, that gets hindered. I can't treat other people like that. If I, if the first words out of my mouth are strongly political on any side of any spectrum, mm -hmm. I, people's ears close off and the relationship gets damaged. Um, and we've talked before. Uh, I think people who know me know that I tend to be very relational in my theology. That's how I kind of structure the world. Um, and so anything that breaks those relationships could be political discourse, can be, uh, in in my way of thinking, I call that sin. Mm -hmm. um, something that breaks my relationship with you or with anyone else, that's sinful and needs to be dealt with. So the suggestion to maybe... Uh, uh, by Beck to not make political discourse at least the the leading edge of our argument that does resonate. Yeah, and uh, you know it's that's the powers and principalities that you know that Paul's right. uh, referencing, and we have sort of made the powers and principalities uh, uh, that which defines who we are. Right. Right. And um you know i think paul in romans 8 makes it pretty clear that's uh, that's a no-no <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah uh, for all the challenges that paul can bring to the mixture or pseudo paul brings to the table that's you know another discussion for another day but yeah. um you know i i do think that there are one of the most meaningful experiences for a good portion of my ministry was a, a weekly gathering that I had with other pastors in the community where I was serving. And those these pastors didn't think like I did. We were on what would be called opposite sides of the political spectrum um, on a great many issues. But because that meeting was rooted in care for the other, and it was rooted in prayer, um, and we really did at our core believe that God was in the midst of those times together. Um, that was huge and supportive for me. Um, and probably, I don't think it would be an overstatement to say it probably saved my life in ministry a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know that it saved others lives in ministry. Uh, there was more than once, I think almost everybody in that group at one point in time, uh, came to a Tuesday morning and said, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we we talked and we prayed and we lifted one another up. And, um, you know, for the better part of 14 years, um, that was that was that was life giving. Um, and, and with other folks. These happen to be men, but with other folks who didn't think like I thought, 
uh, or didn't come to the same conclusions that I come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we haven't talked much about this, but uh, in our podcast, but you and I have been asked to be a part of a writing group, mm-hmm. a curriculum mm-hmm. writing group for men. Uh, you you set in on the mother organization for that represent us in, in that group. Uh, and um, it's a group of people that I've associated with over the years and years past. And and I'm thankful that you represent us there. But um, you would be almost the lone, more progressive voice right. in that mix. You and I, when we were asked to write with all these other folks, and they come from all kinds of different churches, uh, Pentecostal, oh, yeah. evangelical, uh, you know, every, all kinds of spectrum. Yep. Uh, when we were right, when we were asked to write, um, they came to us because of the unique voice we bring. And right. I mean, it is relational. We have, you know, wonderful friendships with some of these yes. folks. Yeah. Uh, but we had to do a lot of soul searching. Yes. Before, before we would put, our names, um, you know, on the curriculum that clearly would not represent uh, a lot of who we are as disciples uh, in in their basic beliefs. Now, they've edited out, you know, as much of that as can be, but the evangelical side of the witness of the other writers is very strong. Yes. And while if we sat down and began talking you know, some kind of a theological conversation about what we believe and who Jesus is to us, that stuff, we, that conversation would end pretty quickly and yep. it would not, would not end well. But the one thing that you and I have observed, and this goes back to the whole concept of compassion or blessing is if someone in that group, we're talking a group of, I don't know what, 20 guys, 20, 30 yeah, guys, 20, 20, 30, somewhere in there. Uh, if, if you came to the, to that, group alex knowing that you know that outside of me no one else would agree with your politics or your 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 christian worldview if you said i got a problem i need to share with you guys every man in that room would stop exactly what they're doing i don't care what they were doing i mean because these have all been video you know i mean zoom conversations they stop everything they were doing and and they would rally around you and pray for you uh tears would flow yep uh, and, you know, the depth of their compassion for you at that particular time is, is just overwhelming. Yes. And that's, I think, I, I won't put words in your mouth, but that's why I commit to write yes. the curriculum for these, with these guys who I really don't agree with very much when it comes to faith. Um, but I can't, I can't discount the depth of love and compassion that they carry in their hearts mm-hmm. and and wear jesus on their sleeve yes and i'm not always comfortable with that you know but at the same time i have witnessed it enough in these settings over the years with with men from all different different denominational denominations different churches when it comes to need everybody's unified exactly everybody comes together and you know there have been there have been uh, people of color in these groups, uh, you know people representing all different kinds of uh, uh, ethnicities, uh, you know who sit around these tables, and it didn't make any difference who bore the need. If there was a need, that person became the primary focus of every man in the room. Right. I think that's what Beck is getting at. I think so. 
what what if you know the real needs of other people and meeting those real felt needs became the only thing that we were concerned with and used how we understand our response to need in the voting booth mm -hmm. but not in the political discourse and would that would that wholesale manifestation of compassion and care for for anyone in need would it have a potent enough witness to, to kind of tilt the needle uh you know in the church's favor and the world in which you live today i i just think it's an interesting question to ask it, it definitely is um and i think you're probably uh i think you probably hit what he's what he's driving at uh, you've you've hit it on the head in my estimation in that you know um it is that love and compassion that care that um capacity to to see the other person's needs suffering whatever joys um and to engage that in a way that builds community um I, when our dialogues be, hinder that or or begin to erode at the the fabric of of our relationships with one another, there's a problem, right? Um, and um, I think that's at the core of what he's saying. I guess I I still get caught with this, but shouldn't I? as a person of faith, act out of that faith in the way that I vote, in the way that I protest, in the way that I, you know, work for justice and wholeness in the world. And and it, it strikes me that, um, you know, the, the, you and I, two white guys having a conversation with the writing of uh, another white guy, um, I, I wonder how much um uh you know that situatedness that context uh plays into this discussion we we've mentioned it or you know already in our our time together today um you know that i imagine that this lands differently uh for our colleagues who are people of color um and are still having to fight for equality and justice um and i guess there's a part of me that says if it lands differently for my siblings of color it should land differently for me because i need to be engaged in that same fight on their behalf or next to them uh, yeah, i absolutely agree with that and which is which is why i think in some sense there's a a bit unrealistic sense of what could be at, you know behind the question that uh yeah that beck raises i i think the one caveat i would add is does does our work in those social justice arenas you know that flows from what we believe is a response of faith mm -hmm. do the people who are watching what we do know that we are there because our faith demands we be there or are we there because of another reason 
that's the part I think the church needs to pay a little bit closer attention to is does does the world at large as a whole see the Christ in us when we are fighting for justice? Or are we are we doing it strictly as a political exercise? Right. Or are we doing it as an extension and an expression of a very deep rooted faith? And I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've done it well. I'm not right. sure people have seen, you know, using sort of more of an evangelical phrase, I'm not sure people have seen Jesus in us in yeah. those times. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I have that same question in my in my mind, and I would maybe push farther, certainly thinking about myself. I know that there have been times where people have not seen Jesus in the way that I have entered into these discussions and dialogues. Um my hope is, my prayer is that we would, like you're talking about, that we would live our lives in such a way that it would be obvious that we are doing what we're doing out of, you know, built on this foundation of faith. Mm-hmm. That faith is not some ancillary that comes in later and justifies what I do. That is precisely because of my faith in Jesus the Christ. Um, that I interact with the world in this way. Um, I think that that is important. Um, it is the oft quoted and, um, you know, uh, probably overly quoted um, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my actions should proclaim to the world that I believe in Jesus the Christ as the son of the living God. Yeah. Yeah. I, an example that I've been wrestling with in my own ministry at Hodgenville is our little coffee shop ministry, our free breakfast ministry that we do is in yeah. a building that is looks attached, but is actually adjacent to the church itself. And the truth is outside of proximity to the church, there really isn't anything that shows or, you know, that makes clear to the people walking in for breakfast and coffee that right. this is a ministry of our church. Now, it's a small town and everybody there just assumes that they know that to be true. But um, I'm not convinced that people do know that's true. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't I don't know that. uh I've I've asked our our church to take a look at that and say, are there you know are there ways that we can make clear that what we do is not a charity, right, but a ministry? Yes, and there's a pretty large distinction in my mind between the two. And um, carrying that same thing forward, I think that happens in our in the political realm when we are standing mm-hmm. up for social justice. Do people see this strictly as a political exercise? Or they see this as a ministry, right? And um, again, I, I I don't know exactly where Beck's coming from on this, but I sense that that's sort of at the core mm-hmm. of what he's asking us to do is to reclaim the priority of faith that uh, that motivates us to to act, and uh, not get so bogged down in proving who's right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, and. and uh... In in that sense, I think we're both. I know I am in wholehearted support. Um, yeah, let's let's make sure that we are 
acting, uh, living out our lives, uh, proclaiming, uh, proclaiming salvation through Christ Jesus uh, in all that we do, uh, political um, or otherwise. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a nice and easy thing to say. Those words roll off my tongue. I'm also honest about the practicality, the practical application of that, uh, is much more difficult and nuanced, um, than I might let on in those easy words that I'm so used to saying. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously everything has a cost yes and uh and we have to weigh we have to weigh all those costs you know in 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 how it gets played out in our life and whatever actions or words we use mm -hmm. and um, um sometimes it feels to me as if the what's the right word to say that the social cost to us of being too overtly Christian keeps us from being overtly Christian. Yeah. I, I can attest that I know it happened in, in ministry for me um, as I've tried to navigate that. Uh, it's different uh, in my current role in ministry. I'm a little more freed uh to have less social cost uh in in this role um it, it was different living and and pastoring in a small community um and being one of the more if not the most liberal congregation in that community mm -hmm. um it, it certainly strikes different um now there's a little more anonymity uh to my role with the church <laughs> these days yeah it is that does come with the uh, middle judicatory ministry through the regional ministry of which you are in which i spent the bulk of my ministry yeah. doing and um i don't i don't want to leave people hanging before we leave i i do oh, think yeah. in in all fairness and i'm going to put this on you because you should know more you hopefully you know more <laughs> than me is um is to let people know what that curriculum was or is that you and right. i have written for and okay. uh so I, again this is not something we endorse as a part of our work uh but we endorsed it by virtue of the fact that we participated in the writing of it and uh and um uh, therefore we want people to have an option uh, to know for themselves and judge for themselves for the value of the resources they it in all fairness it has gotten a lot of play it has uh, from it's uh, been reported back to us that this is this has been well received and has uh, uh really reached a whole lot of men and so uh, uh we'll we'll share that alex if you would share that yeah that'd be great. i will um so the resources that uh greg has been talking about that uh, he and i have had a hand in helping write um are called the lifelines resources um and they are free to download um all internet-based uh, web-based resources. And there are two series out now, and I believe we just released the final in the second series. Um, and we're, so I believe that because I started to see emails about writing a third. Um, <laughs> so that's probably coming up. Lifelines is a um, creation of a ministry called Project 12. 
Um, and if you're interested in finding out more about it, that is project 12, spell out the word 12.net, project12.net. Um, and project 12 is an outgrowth from um, Lutheran Men in Mission from the ELCA. Um, and, uh, but it does bring together um, men's leadership from uh, a variety of different denominations um, and uh, uh, kind of across the United States. Um, so it's primarily a North American, uh, U.S.-based uh, ministry. I don't know of anybody right now um, who's not based in the in the United States. Um, but these are are ways in which to engage in conversation with other men uh, about um, life and faith. And so there are um, two, um, like I said, two series out now. There's what's called the original six, uh, Conversation Guides for Men's, and then um, Marketplace Lifelines is the second set of six. And actually, I think we just have five out now. So there's still another one coming in about five weeks um, from the recording of this. Uh, so it should be early spring of 2023. So um, they cover a variety of different topics. Uh, if you want to find out more, uh, again, it's project12.net, um, or you can email uh, us uh, at disciplesmen, and we will uh, get that information to you. Certainly be willing to have a, a deeper conversation about what that looks like, uh, how you might implement um, or use any of that curriculum as as well in your ministry and life. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. I think it's important for us to share that information. Um, for those of you who've been around long enough uh, to remember, uh, you might remember that there was a uh, so that the original small group ministries began through Lyman Coleman in the serendipity uh -huh. ministries that he created, I'm guessing back in the seventies, late seventies. I know Lyman, uh, Lyman's a beautiful man. And, um, uh, the ELCA, uh, 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 Lutheran men and mission worked with Lyman to develop the original set of studies. That was a part of their men's Bible. It was an insert in the men's Bible that they published years and years ago. And um, they lost the um, they lost their copyright to that material, and I don't know the whole story, uh, but that prompted because of the success of that serendipity based ministry, uh, that prompted um, project the Project Twelve guys to um, want to recreate that in a serendipity format, and um, um, serendipity. My biggest complaint with serendipity is that it's each. Each, it's not developmental right in its approach each each lesson is a standalone experience uh it doesn't necessarily have any connection to what happened the week before or will have a connection the week after uh it just gets guys in a conversation around a series of questions and a text and um, um uh, the work that we've done with the jesus way is much more developmental in scope and it you know it's designed to help deepen and move us along in our faith right. and not prescribe just you know getting us going together in a group of men on the same journey and uh but, but i would say that that same criticism or critique uh would be uh what I would have of the lifelines work. Um, mm -hmm. It is, it is still very independent and standalone. And at the same time, I want to say that that does have its place. It does. Um, it does I, have its place. It's just you and I would say that the more developmental 
uh, model, the journeying model um, that we've developed through Jesus Way materials, um, we think is a um, more full way to experience um, development growth maturation as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And Doug Haugen, who uh, for many years was the head of Lutheran Men in Mission, he was the staff person who oversaw that. Uh, Doug and I have been friends for close to 30 years. Marvelous guy, wonderful oh, man, yes. yeah. deep faith. Uh, he's sort of the project leader. He's a ramrod of the of uh, Project 12 and the lifelines. And, uh, and Doug has always been one of the greatest champions of the Jesus way. Yes. Uh, uh, in its pre in its predecessor, its precursor ministries, uh, Doug Doug was was just a wonderful champion of the work that we were doing because we were doing the developmental work of, of men's curriculum. And so, um, uh, anyway, don't need to belabor that anymore. That's the uh, those are just more resources that we want to make available to uh, disciple men. Absolutely. And I think we should say before we go, we'll talk more about this as time gets a little bit closer. But if you're uh, listening prior to General Assembly of 23 for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada, um, you should be on the lookout for a potential workshop um, that Greg and I will be leading uh, on men's ministry um, at General Assembly. So if you'd like to engage in that workshop, we'd love to have uh, a further conversation about how men's ministry um, can be impactful and meaningful and developmental uh, here in the year 2023 and following uh, in our current socio-political um, and um, climates uh, that we are experiencing in the world today. It's, it's a change from what men's ministry used to be. Yeah, very much so. Looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully the opportunity to visit with you there. And Greg, looking forward to another conversation soon on another edition of Disciples Men Podcast. Thanks, Alex. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.